Hello there, my name is Philip Hubbard. And my name is Anthony Gosling and welcome to the 4am Coaches Club podcast. So, Anthony, I mean, first, I, I mean, today's, I mean, let, let's focus on the main thing. Today's, today's podcast is going to be about session planning and the amount of messages I've had about the about what does a good session plan look like? What does it need? And and how how would you input certain things? What software do you use? What what like are you old school? How do you do it? Um, and I think it's going to just be a nice conversation to have about that. But first, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Let's talk about the, like the last episode um, on on mental health. And I think me and you both agree after that we struggled i think i think it was a genuine i felt like i'd been genuinely emotionally beaten up um and and really raw um but some of the feedback we've had has been incredible no absolutely phil and i think we both came off there thinking you know what we've there's stuff going on in our lives at the moment and then to then bring up old old wounds and old things that have affected us. I think <laughs> there came a bit of a concoction after what was also a very long week for both of us. So from that, it, it was tough and it, it was raw and it was honest. And I think that we both were a bit unsure with what we said and from there, but I, obviously as we spoke about Phil sort of offline, I've had some really nice messages from quite a few people, sort of people that know me well, people that don't know me so well or, or colleagues as well that have reached out and said things. And especially when I spoke about things in my family and, and university life, sort of people from uni have reached out to me and we've had some really good conversations. And obviously it's, I think it's been a massive positive thing for those that have listened to it and have listened. I think it's, it's been really important. What about you, Phil? What sort of feedback have you had? Uh, well, I wanted to go through a little, I mean, I, I just confirm I, I haven't, I, we haven't spoke about this, but, um, I just wanted to, it's a really short passage, but someone messaged me uh, uh, on LinkedIn and and, um, and reached, uh, had reached out to me and um, someone I've known for a little while and someone I never thought would message me. I'm not going to mention their name because that would be unfair. Um, but uh, I'm just going to read the first couple of bits. I'm going to leave some bits out. Um, hi, Phil. Great to hear your voice on the podcast. I still don't understand that Geordie language, but um, it's been so nice to hear you you and your views. Um, it's been really nice to hear you and your views. When listening to the podcast, all I could think is, wow, I'm not alone. It's so nice to hear that I'm not just going through these issues on my own. Everyone's having them. But it's also really nice to know how people are dealing with them. Don't get me wrong, the cold showers don't sound amazing, but I can see why you do them. Keep going with the podcast, and I think I'll be listening to this one a couple more times to get those golden nuggets. Thanks, Phil. Wow, I think that's it's amazing that someone feels like they can talk to us like that, Phil. I think it. As we decided and agreed on when we first discussed in this podcast about trying to make a difference in the footballing world and and in coaching and everything like that, and I think 
we're on the right track. It, uh, yeah, and I, I spoke to, uh, I spoke to someone who works in mental health at a local club here, and uh, and they said that that one person that that um, episode might save or help one person, and that's one person that wouldn't have been helped if it wasn't out there. So I'll take solace in that. I'll take solace and and, and I'll take I'll, I'll I'll be proud of myself with that. Regardless of what happens after this, after that episode, if they go back and listen to that numerous times and get golden nuggets from every time, I'm laughing. And just to confirm, the cold shower I had the day after, just because I wanted to reset myself, was the worst one ever because it was freezing cold anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that doesn't make life any easier, does it? But no, that's, and that's it. I think that's a fantastic way to start off the podcast and if there is any other feedback and comments, then please do message us on social media or, or whatever's best for you and how you want to do that. So thank you guys for your comments. So, Sophie, as, as we've spoken about already and we've touched on, today's podcast will be looking at session planning and looking at how the different factors and out, the different factors that we can control. So the internal factors, the external factors with the players and what they might bring into the sessions what we want our outcomes to be, what are the moments of the game we want to focus on and the sort of considerations we want to make. So on a lot of there, I think there's a lot of stuff that we want to take in. And if people want to reach out to us after this for actual visual examples of how this looks like, then please reach out to either of us and we'll be able to help you further with that. So Phil, on that, when I, when I say to you session planning, what's the first things that come into your head? What in good God's name am I doing this week? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't think. I, I think I'd like. I'd like people to understand who maybe aren't football coaches that we do plan, but we just plan on different things. The the biggest thing for me, and you might be able to give me some ideas here, but is numbers because I know at five o'clock when it's planned, I've planned for sixteen. And I know by seven, eight o'clock, by the time I'm doing it, it's either going to be higher or lower. Yeah. So that there's the first thing: having ideas, um, definitely player uh, player needs. So what what am I working on? What's been looked at the weekend before? Am I looking at from what happened from, from part of my syllabus? Um, I think they're really important factors. And obviously, where you are, where you are in your coaching, yeah, yeah, coaching life. Are you going to a little? Uh, are you going to a toddler session, where it's just to focus on fun, but we know they're doing dribbling, which is what they're doing it with? Or am I going to my? Am I going to my uh, my first team session, where I don't know we we've lost the ball, we've lost the ball in transition, five or six times. Um, I th- I think. I think it all comes down to time and how well that's planned as well. Yeah, so I, I, I've got a question for you in a second, Phil. That that could be a bit of a bit of a difficult one to answer, but for me, I absolutely think the things that you've touched on. If, if we're looking at session planning in a complete micro nutshell, because the stuff that we'll go through in the rest of this podcast will absolutely blow the show off that, and it will make a lot more sense, but. For me, it's the three things. And I think it also depends on what sort of 
environment that you're working in, um, grassroots or professional or semi-professional, is obviously I think there's a few things. There's play. I think the first and foremost for me is players' needs. What do the players need out of the session? What do they need to work on for their own development? That we then need to look at what does the team and the units need to work on. So is there something the defenders need to work on, the midfielders or the attacker? As a whole collective group, what do we need to work on? So, for example, that could be defending in a mid-block, that could be pressing from the front, switching play, things like that. Um, and then for me, it's numbers and, and based upon your club philosophy and curriculum that you want to play. So I think it's important to be able to focus on those things. Um, but on, on that field, the question for you is, let's say you have your game on the Saturday or the Sunday. Mm-hmm. Do you then focus the trade? Do you focus your training on what went wrong in the ses- in the game on Saturday or Sunday? Or is there something else? What, what do you come away from the weekend and go, right, we need to work on X. So we're going to work on X in training. Or do you have a syllabus? Do you have a curriculum? Do you work on things? Do you work on other things? I- let me know your thoughts, and sort of I'll add on to afterwards. So, where, so when I was um, head of youth at, at Yeovil, I I wanted people to have a little bit of freedom. I think I think the best things come from freedom. So, for example, right when it, within your session, you would have a six week syllabus. So, where, like for example, right now we would be just starting. Coming off the half turn block two, we would just be starting block two. Sorry, I have to look at my calendar. Uh, um, and in that block, that block would be it would be either heavily very defensive or it'd be heavily very uh, very attacking or on the ball. It's stuff that we that, that we would do. I would always tell people that they had they had an hour and a half. Fifteen minutes. Had to be so eight, seven to eight minutes had to be a warm up. Thirty minutes had to be part of the curriculum. Fifteen minutes, they could work on whatever they needed to. So what that did, it just gave people a little bit of freedom, and it also allowed them to plan a bit more. Now, like some people didn't do it, some people didn't set the curriculum at all, which that was a very slightly different conversation. But the ones that are the the coaches that I felt got better and and were able to look at things, and were able to coach in a, in a slightly different way at the end of it. They planned and they figured a way out. So it might be that we we've lost the ball in transition too many times, and it's also given them a chance to have a think of, do you know what it is? Do I really need to work on this? Uh, for example, oh, I don't know. Let's just say, let's just say, let's say you and let's say you're playing centre half and you've you've been beaten in a one v one once. Now once isn't a problem; it just means you got beat once. If you got beat six or seven times, and then we've got a problem. So within the game, I, I very much doubt. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Klopp looks at Van Dyke and then says, and he gets beat once at the front post. Oh. Van Dyke needs a whole week of heading head at the front post. Because it's very rare that he gets beat at that front post. Maybe not at the minute, but can you see what I mean? Yeah. So it just gives them a chance to assess it and get better and learn. Um, 
I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's fair to jump the gun. I might veer off it, but that comes from my communication. So I might go to my head of my head of football and say, listen, actually, we've made quite a few mistakes defensively this weekend. I just want to to tighten up some things. Can I can I either pull it back a week or can I just do it slightly differently? Or have you got any suggestions? And it all just opens up a line of communication. That's how I would do it. It's not an easy question, but I think there's ways of working around it. No, absolutely. I think, I think for me that's one of the, for me that's one of the biggest debates in in coaching, especially in grassroots coaching, is that actually are we do we continue to be reactive to what's happened on the previous Saturday or Sunday to then work on on that Tuesday, Wednesday, for example, in preparation for Saturday? I guess can we find ways of being more proactive and setting ourselves out to work on? And I guess there's a question for people listening as well is how often do we work on things in training that we're already good at? Like if if my if my I, I take one of my teams, for example, I feel that they're very good at counter attacking and they're and they're very good on a positive transition. And there has actually been times where we'll then continue to work on we'll actually work on it in training to continue being very good at it. Um but no, for, for me, Phil, I, I, I find it quite quite challenging in that respect when I look at philosophies and syllabuses and curriculums. And I think it's important that there is a syllabus and there is a curriculum, especially when you have a whole club approach. And the reason being why is I think if, let's, let's say we set up a, a team, a club right now, let's say the 4AM club, for example, and we had teams from, I don't know, 10s up to 18s, we have like a reserve side and first team. If there's a clear club philosophy and structure coming through all the way club, and then as long as everyone is then coaching something very similar and very similar topics and styles, it then becomes we're then producing players which are then have the label and the authenticness of a 4M coaches club footballer, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's, it's then creating a branding and a style of players and for me, having recently, I've been on coaching courses where clubs, coaches at clubs, have got full, full reign on coaching whatever they want to their players. But then it doesn't necessarily create a standard of player and recognised to that club or to that or that coach. And I think it's then important to have that structure. So I think I'm all for freedom in coaching, but I think it's got to be constructed by the club and sort of. <laughs> orchestrated towards the same sort of outcomes. So I think from there, I think it's really important to have freedom within a constraint-led direction towards where the club want the coach to take it. So on that, I think it's really important to be able to do that. Um, but then again, next question for you, Phil. Are you, are you old school pen and paper or are you an online system what do you prefer do you use both one or the other what do you use I I prefer online system recently there's some stuff that has kind of been outside of the control so I've had to move to paper um, like it, it's been simple things it's been like oh actually this person's out this weekend, so that's not going to work. 
or um, we've had to rejig a little bit. So that plan A goes out the window and I'll be sat in my car and I'll be like, right, okay, I'll plan something now. I prefer if... Do you mean if everything's like... if Do you mean if everything's um, planned and everything goes well? What like my my prefer would be to be able to get on the laptop, do a little bit of research, pull some stats up, which I think stats are super important, especially for me personally in the women's game. Yeah, uh, and working in the women's game at the minute, I, I do feel like they work slightly better, and some men as well. I I, I believe there is there, and please don't think I'm generalising. I, I it's just from my experiences that, that mainly my opinion. Um, I do feel like the work a lot better, but yeah, if everything was there, I'd I'd prefer to sit down, work on a laptop, um, and get everything down. But I I, I I just want to admit now, probably one of my best sessions I've ever ran. I remember the day. I remember who it was with. I remember what I was doing, and it came from an hour beforehand because I'd heard a comment. Because I'd heard a comment that wound us up, I went and replanned my session on paper, and I took it out to the pitch with me. It was probably the best session I've ever had. <laughs> it's crazy how little things work like that. Yeah, but no, <clears throat> no, absolutely. I think for me, Phil, I'm I'm an absolute lover of pen and paper. Like if I'm coaching and I'm coaching on my own, or I'm coaching with somebody that I work really closely with week in week out majority of the time I'll either sit there on my own or together and we'll crash it we'll crash it out on paper and I think it, for me I just there's no better feeling I think it kind of goes back to my time at school and university I found that I best learn when I was writing something so for me revising I'd go write 15 20 pages to imprint it in my mind and I still feel that when I'm doing my session plans I remember it better in the detail and how it feels and how it looks by writing it down and actually imprinting it on the paper. So I think for me, I have um, I have an A4 pad with four uh, four pictures on it, and I'll draw the sessions on there. I'll put the detail on there, and then um, I'll either just have that in my pocket, or for the different teams that I work with, I have different color. Uh, is it A5? A5 yeah. or A6 notepads that fit perfectly in my pocket uh, and I'll, I'll draw the session up or and put the detail in there and have that in my pocket and I think some coaches some coaches are scared of well if you've got a piece of paper and you look at it during the session for a sec the players are going to turn around and go what the hell are they doing like they're clearly not planned or they don't know what they're doing and actually sometimes just taking that moment to get the session plan out of your pocket and have a look at it and think, right, yeah, that's it, perfect, right. I've planned to do this for another five, ten minutes so I can use these coaching points. Right, I'll then remember when I get back to the car, I need to put a circle around this because we need to go back on this and do the points again. And I think it's really important. There's How... an amazing video, by the way, of Pep Guardiola, and he's got this, um, he's got this like little booklet. It's like, a, it's like an A4 booklet with him. And he's got it in his hand, and he looks at it and he's looking at it with one of his coaches and and he spins it round and all it is is four drawn boxes with what he's got in there and he, he must have just drawn them 
on his own. And I, I, you see, I just don't think there's anything wrong with pen and paper. It's whatever works for you. And you, ha- you have to go and do it. I know I've turned up to sessions and a coach has got it on it. Like, it's like a napkin-sized mm-hmm. piece of paper and there's like three or four of them. And I'm like, where's the other bits? And he's like, oh, they're in my pocket, scrumpled up. And I'm like, what? He was like, yeah, yeah, print two out. And each time I do a section, I put it in my pocket. I'm like, that is, that is to me, that is mental. Mental. But it worked for him. It works for that person. I tell you, yeah, I have done session plans and probably worse than that, so that's no problem. Um, <laughs> but for me as well, I think if I'm if I'm working with someone that I don't work with a lot or in a more professional environment, then I'm definitely more open. I'm more to the idea of doing it online. Um, so very similar to yourself, I believe. I've used two, three, four different online coaching softwares and things like that. And I have found one in particular that I particularly like the way the design of it and how it's laid out. Um, so I'll use that to, to draw out the, the, the diagrams and the, and put text boxes in with the detail and then export that as a PDF or screenshot it and, and kind of go from there. So I do like using both, but for me and my coaching, um, I, I'm definitely pen and paper. However, as a colleague of mine once sort of suggested to me that if I'm doing it on pen and paper, I've got to be make sure that I then file it as well. So I keep a coaching log for my own development and for the players' development of the session I do. It's very much one of them things like a piece of paper. It stays in my pocket for a couple of weeks. Next, you know, it starts raining. My coat's got wet. Session's gone. Yeah. So... Um, whereas if you do it online and you do have that sort of electrical copy so from there so on on that field I think obviously we've spoken about the different the different things that we use to sort of think about how we plan our sessions so we've, we've spoken about numbers we've spoken about players needs teams needs and things like that from there so obviously both with a bit of background story for both me and Phil, both me and Phil have done coaching qualifications, both with the English FA and with the Welsh FA as well. And both have fantastic approaches to player development and principles and philosophies and different words and languages for certain things. So something that both me and Phil are very used to is obviously the four corner model. And we've then got the five pillars as well. So we've got technical, tactical, social, psychological, and physical. In your in your session design and session planning field, so where would you rank the important things? Do you plan and put detail in for each of the five pillars, or or do you kind of go from there? What how how do you use the outcomes of right. the five pillars? So this is this this is a hard one, right? Because it adapts so much so for example like like i'm going to use percentages okay in in how much should be in so in terms of uh tactical that could be either 20 percent or 60 percent depending on the group social i think is always between 10 and 15 Psychological, again, I think between 10 and 15. Physical, 
it's a physical sport, so you're always going to have it in. <laughs> it depends how much detail you'd like to go into. And technical. So technical and tactical, they vary towards each other, depending on the group you're working with. So I'll, I'll ask you a straight question, right? It's a yes or no question. How do under eight need a lot of tactical work? I would say no. And because you 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 heard me say a lot, didn't you? They still need it to an extent. Yeah. A small, nice introduction, but they don't need to know about a right wing back, or they don't need they don't need to know what lane they need to cut off to for for people to play in. Yeah, no, and I think on that, for me, I think, yeah, for for very, very young FP kind of ages, yeah. for me, like, their tactical knowledge needs to be awareness of space. Yeah. And, and like, general positioning. Like... Stuff like, can you, can I sit, can my partner see my feet? Yeah. And I, yeah, I think, I think it is that defenders, midfielders, attackers... Uh, that that's kind of there, just very very basic understanding of positioning and, and movement, uh, movement into space. Sorry, so space and positioning, so that we are we have some form of shape. But that's that's kind of how it needs to be. Like if if it is five aside, then it's like a box midfield, two defenders, two attackers, and then if it's six aside, like a five on a dice, like. Just teaching them sort of that little understand, but for me, it's yeah, as you said, there is no like block work or or working on passing lanes or anything like that. So yeah, no, absolutely, it's. I think as you said, like that you've got to work on that sort of percentages. Um, but I, I think for me, it's it's slightly different regarding the physical corner uh, with what we do, what some of the work I do, especially with the older players. So for me, I will, I will do physical development in my sessions to try and get the most out of it. Um, so we'll we'll talk about periodization a little bit more later on and such. But for me, coaching on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. So Tuesday, I coach under 18s, and then on Wednesday, I assist with the physical development of 13s to 16s. And those sessions are smack bang in the middle. Of, of our week with our other session being Thursday or Friday, they will be the more physically demanding sessions. So we'll do an extensive activation and warm-up with physical development and then we'd look to try and use larger areas and and put a little bit more of a physical strain and loading on the players. Mm-hmm. So I think for in those, then it's when it comes to that level, then there's a lot more emphasis on the physical focus but as you as you said, sort of, the sessions and the game is quite physical as it is. So especially for the little ones, it's. I think it's just more physical development, such as movements, ABCs. So like with the little little ones, I love doing tagging games. I love doing multi-directional games. A lot of stopping, starting, changing direction, accelerating, decelerating, balancing, coordination, speed, all these things. And expose them to them, and it doesn't always necessarily need to be football. I think tagging games could be absolutely instrumental in physical development, and I think it's really important that you do have those aspects. 
Yeah, mate. And and listen, like as you get older, I, do, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but as kids, uh, as these young people get older, uh, try and colour code what what you want from it. So, for example, I do. I go for colour code of blue, orange, and red. So, <clears throat> when you get to the <coughs> sorry, when we get get to kind of the end of the season where games are coming thick and fast, you'll see a lot of my sessions are planned around blue. So blue for me is um, sessions that there might be just walkthroughs or quite heavy in tactical work and not a lot of sprint, not a lot of heavy stuff. But around Christmas time, just before Christmas, I might go red because I know they're gonna. Ha- I know they're gonna have quite a few weeks off. I know they probably need that load quite, quite, quite big. And oranges is, is like a is the the longevity. So it might be I do possession sessions, which are three four minutes long, because I really want to get the I really want to get the muscle I want to get the blood going into the legs and um I, I want to really like get the get the work in and um over a long period of time other than short sharp sprints. So. I got into a really good habit of doing that, and it was at USW. I learned that working with um, working with a, a couple of essence uh, like strength and conditioning coaches, and um, one particular teacher who who was just incredible for me, absolutely incredible. Um, so I got into that really good habit. No, absolutely. I think f- for me, when I when I break down the outcomes. I think all my sessions, I would say, are very technically technically focused. Then with the older players I work with, there's a lot more tactical emphasis about how we then implement the technical capabilities. So how is the session designed? Is it realistic? Is it is there realism to the game on how it looks? Is this going to have a te- technical outcome in a tactical environment? Um, and I think... I personally think sometimes I make the social side not so much. I think that's something definitely recently doing my social block um, on my AYA course that has really brought to my attention more about not necessarily designing sessions for a complete social outcome, but having more of an emphasis on trying to get social outcomes from my sessions. How do you find that balance feel within your sessions socially? Socially, it's hard. Um, I think COVID hasn't helped that. Being honest, I don't know if you've seen a difference through like through COVID, but um, socially, I think you can do you can do certain things. Promote promoting good communication skills. That's a big one. Um, promoting promoting having a chat while you're on the drinks break. Um and seeing what you understand, um, promoting, um, positive chat, um. So as much as you might be upset or disappointed about something that's happened within the session, can we talk about it in a really healthy way? Um, for example, I don't know. It might be, listen, you've you've made this mistake. That's all right because we're over with it now. But all I'm saying is get your head up, 
it might be you've missed the pass, get your head up early and and if I haven't shown into feet, just go back and turn the other way. And that might be that person's suggestion and they get into really good conversations. Um, the balance is hard and I would, lo- I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing something. No, absolutely. And I think a lot of my sessions with the younger ones are 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, 4v4s, uh, ball mastery, ball manipulation, um, and sort of passing and receiving. So a lot, a real, real heavy technical focus. However, the social, I think for me, it comes, I think this is where I guess I go slightly more English FA on this one, but like psych social rather than having them split. So for me, socially, what I want is I want teamwork. I want communication skills and I want that to be socially. I want their communication to be across the three key areas of communication in sort of the the non-verbal, the verbal, and then the listening as well. How can we sort of, it's much about receiving as giving the communication and focus on those team aspects. And I think socially as well, I think that also looks at sort of social intelligence as well. So when the sessions do become competitive in a, in a 1v1, 2v2 or a small-sided games or anything like that, then how how we work as a group and how we deal with winning and losing and beating somebody or losing to your partner and things like that. So on the social one, I think there's a lot of emphasis and focus on working as a team, working as a group. And I think it, I think that then makes it easier to work on the aspect of winning and losing or, and I'm not talking about weekend results. I'm talking about like in tagging games or one V ones, which then kind of, for me, comes into the psychology, psychological part where it's decision-making, it's, it's being resilient, it's working together, it's making those decisions and being brave and being confident and trying new things and being creative. And actually, if your teammate does a skill or a trick that you really like, tell them, that, tell them you like it. Tell them, you know what, well, that's really, I like that. I want to be able to try and do that. And it then brings that confidence out in others and the communication. And sometimes if if you did something feel really good, then I'll tell you. And it's it's being it helps you create a fun, positive environment that for people to enjoy through through being social. And I think for me, to sum it up, I think the social outcomes of a session are usually a byproduct of your design of your practices. Well, and then and the group as well. Well, I, I was ha- I was having this conversation yesterday, talking about I was doing this session planning, and one of the I've I've got I'm really lucky I've worked with two coaches, um, and I, I don't think they'll mind me saying their names, but um, Andrew McBride and, and Jason Miller. One at senior level. One at, um, one at youth level. And Andrew McBride, don't get me wrong, it's not just him, it's the people he works with as well. But how he creates an environment to be to be absolutely, to, to be competitive, to be fun, to be at it. I don't, I, I don't think he plans it, he's just been around it. Whereas I know Jason, 
who who works for the FA and and he does amazing work. But like honestly, he he takes the mick out of me. Like he, we do, we did a tournament, and and he's going <laughs> the the yellow team that are in a, like in that yellow strip, and he's going Brazil, cha cha cha, and and you can just see the kids vibing off it and having fun with each other and being like, no, no, do it like this. It, it, it's really, really interesting how different people do it. Two completely different ends of the spectrum, but one plans it, one doesn't. And and you, you go back and you go, so do I really need to plan it or do I just need to have the idea of it? And uh, one does the five, one, one does more the five pillars, one does more the four, the four corners. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? How it works like that sometimes. It really, really does. So then, my same question again, Phil. How often do you plan sessions to have an emphasis on the psychological part? I, I, I think it's important. I do think it's important because I might want something from that session. I've planned in the past. I've planned to referee the game. Knowing in two weeks' time we might have a referee, that is a very much a home referee. Um, so I'll, I'll be arrogant. Can you imagine me being arrogant? <laughs> um, I'll be arrogant. I'll make wrong decisions. I'll I'll book players, for example, because I want I want them to understand how to deal with that emotion and how to deal with it psychologically. Um, I'll set sessions that are far too difficult because I want to see how resilient people are. I want I want to see uh, I want to see certain things. I'll make things that are far too easy, so I can see who's who's going to go at the trenches and who's going to go. Oh, well, this is so easy, man! Like we can I could do this in my sleep, and who's going to go? All right then. And I, I did it. I did it last week with my under 16s and one of the one of the lads went. Right, it's too easy. Let's let's do it quicker then. Let's do it on two touch. If it's that easy, we'll be able to do it on one touch. And I didn't expect it from the person that did it. Mm. That's insane, is it? It's good how how sometimes that helps set pe- that helps allow people to step up within the group. But no, absolutely on that. I think training and your session design and your planning allows you to create a safe space for mistakes and people to fail and you've got to manipulate it to the point that it's completely okay and that we all we've all had players at some point who get upset get down can cry various different reactions to to failure and struggling with something but then eventually you can support them to get to the stage where it's it's that slight grit in the teeth Hands clinched, like, right, yes, come on, let's go again. I almost had it, we'll get there. And once you can get players into that sort of stage and they have that robust, mental robustness and resilience and like, there's like hunger to, to learn and get it right, then I think it can be absolutely oh, instrumental to what's going on. And I think by doing that in training, especially with the younger ones, and it's, it's that kind of cliche of you've kind of, sometimes you've got to just throw them overboard a little bit, let them 
sort of struggle a little bit and sometimes straight away they'll start swimming and it's all good. And then times they'll start sinking a little bit and that, and that's there where you just hold them up a little bit and, and keep them at the top and you can dip them in and out of it. I think that's what's really important is that creating and designing sessions to be able to do it. And I think doing a lot of sessions, for example, with, with the little ones, it's a lot of 1v1s trying to beat your play, partner for points and 2v2s and with the older ones it's, it can be something a little bit competitive sort of we've done things before where we've done finishing drills and, and practices where it's like right you've got to hit X amount of goals in I don't know three minutes if you don't hit it you've got to do it box to box and then if they do it it's all good and they're challenging themselves and it's, they're trying to um, push themselves and if if they can't do it then it's a box to box or they get half the time with half the amount of goals to get and double or quits and things like that and I think creating those pressured environments that obviously I know I know this the latter was a little bit more of a physical punishment as such um, which is taken in like a in a light jokey way as such but it's also that putting that pressure on them as well and I think it's hard sometimes I, that's that's just reminding me I think it's hard sometimes to create pressure from a game like the psychological pressure of a game in training especially obviously when you're playing opposition in what like in games on the weekend and things like that I, if anyone's got any ideas on how to do that then please let us know because I think that's something I struggle on myself have you watched um have you watched oh what's the what's the Arsenal one called? You're an Arsenal fan, aren't you? Yeah. The, uh, the, what what is the is it all or nothing? Yeah, uh yeah, yeah. Have you seen the one the week before they play Liverpool? Yeah, let's not talk about that one. That didn't uh, go very well. But yeah, no, absolutely. So... Would that create pressure for you? Uh, the, uh, by the way, I'm asking because I think I think it did. But it, I think it worked in a really negative way. Well, that, and that's the thing. You look at it and unfortunately, from what I can remember, the result wasn't great. Um, but I guess how doing that in a training ground where it's, you've got a fair few acres of land and it's open and it's trees and it's leafy compared to a, a concrete bowl where you've had to travel and whatnot, it's... I guess it's trying to take certain aspects of the game and trying to create that pressure. But to try and mimic that pressure is is definitely I don't, yeah, I don't think it, I don't think you can. But how to replicate what you do in training from a psychological pressure point of view um I think is it, very difficult. Yeah, and uh I it'd be wonderful to know I mean, Eddie. Uh, look, I'm a Newcastle United fan, so I mean, how, how, how? I would love to know how Eddie Howe's doing it. Would love to know how Eddie Howe's going. Yeah, like the, these are the best fans in the world, but like the, you can either be the best friends or the worst enemies. It's up to you. Or is he going over the fact, or has he just set set them up really well to cope with those pressures and? And cope with all these wonderful insights that he's dealing with, you know. 
No, absolutely. I think it's, it'd be great to get those sort of insights to see how in the professional game they create those environments from there. Yeah, absolutely. So, next next thing for me, Phil, obviously talking about session planning is um, moments of the game. So, again, something that kind of was introduced to me in my time at university is the five moments of the game. So in possession, out of possession, positive transition, negative transition, and set pieces, um, and like sort of restart restarts the play. Um, so obviously, positive transition is talking about when your team, the moment that you regain possession. Negative transition is when the moment of when your team loses possession. For me, I do a lot of, I spend a lot of time coaching and planning around in possession. And and positive transitions, how we do it. I think that's just with the style and the way that my uh, my sort of 18s play. I think that's something we spend a lot of time on. Um, but from there, I think so as well. They also work hand in hand. So, for example, if we're doing a session on, um, I don't know, combination play in the final third there is going to be out of possession, defending in the final third, emergency defended, um, switch in play, how to prevent and switch, things like that. So I think working hand in hand, but how often do you feel work on a particular moment as such? Probably quite a lot. That's because I think, I think <laughs> you have to, I'd probably pick two, if I'm deadly honest with you, because I think, they go hand in hand. I think you have to... So, for example, it might be a positive transition from a set piece because when you look at the stats, I mean, that, that famous goal, the Troy Deeney goal. Yeah. It, it sounds mental, but I'm sure... I think it happened over the weekend. I'm, I'm pretty sure it happened over the weekend. No, do you know what it is? I, I, it was from... Um, and this is why it's going to my mind. On Friday, it was two Northern League teams. They've taken a penalty and they've went back up the end of the other end and scored. If you can make that transition really quickly, you'll go. You you, you can go away and score goals and get to, or or get something from it at least to the other end. Um, in possession, negative transition. So we're in a really positive way. We've got the ball, we've got the ball, we've got the ball. Bang, we've lost it. Okay, now what do we do? You have to look at both at every session, personally. Um, I know some people disagree with that quite heavily, but if we don't, we're missing massive chunks. And by the way, it's because I think it's because we only see kids an hour and a half a week. And we don't get a lot of time with them, uh, so I think I think you have to pack quite a bit in, and maybe that's maybe that's me maybe that's maybe wrong, but we have to. Kids are smarter than we think. I think kids are a lot smarter than we think. We need to give them a bit more of a of a chance. We can't just go in possession. We're gonna do a we're gonna do a, a rondo. Then we're gonna do a possession box, and we're gonna do attack attack versus defense and whatever. It's a little bit of a lazier way of doing it. Why don't we just plan a little bit more, trust the kids a little bit more, and see what they're like, and then we can get really good understanding. 
Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I think, obviously, at times, we would love to be able to coach the team three, four times a week. At times, one or two sessions is enough. Yeah. Um, Depends who you work with. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing is sometimes trying to put that into your into your syllabus or curriculum or your design of how you want your train to look is that um, I know teams and clubs that might do um, I don't know they play Saturday so Tuesday will do in possession work positive transitions Thursday will then look at out of possession sort of their attacking day and their defending day and things like that where Obviously, both sessions, they're working on both. However, the more emphasis is on one than the other, and then it swaps on to the other session before their game on the weekend. So there is there is ways of looking at. But I've I've got one for you, Phil. What's your thoughts on working on set pieces? Is that something you do in training? Not with my younger age groups. Not with my younger ones. I know, I know coaches that do it. Um... I implement ideas. I that's the best I can do, because till recently, and I found a, an amazing session on train effective. Um, they have like a little, uh, like a little TikTok um, group, and it's like really quick snippets. Um, and I was doing. Um, I was I wasn't doing any sessions, but then I looked at this uh, I looked at this TikTok and I loved the idea, and it was three back to back set pieces, team against team, where you would do a corner, a wider free kick, um, and a deep free kick from from an area. So you would have to come out to the off off sideline every time, apart from the corner. So you would get the first header in at the corner, you would come out, then the second free kick would come in, then you come out and then the third free kick would come in. Um, and it was just a lot more fun. So now I probably do it a lot more, but now I won't go into detail until they're a little bit older, so 16, 17, 18. What about you? Do you uh, or how do you do it at least? I think for me, especially the younger ones, the only thing that I talk about set pieces or restarts is kick-ins. For, yeah. as long, for as long as humanly possible, I will make sure that all my restarts is either a pass, dribble, or a pass or dribble on. Um, it's, again, I think it creates a different, it creates a different situation. So, ball goes out on the sideline, ball goes down, spot it, can you pass in and play? Or can you 1v1 the person in front of you? And then with the with you being off the pitch, all you can do is you have that 180-degree angle in front of you um, and you can't go back to it, then you've got to find a way. And I've seen some phenomenal plays where people have dropped the shoulder, shift, and then step over, cut, gone the other way, and seen some unbelievable... Um, creativity, which on top of that, I think one of my favourite highlights, and this is something we never ever worked on. You know the famous corner where Man United did that time where they touched it out of the quadrant? 
where, they touched out, where they touched out of the quadrant and then the guy came over and dropped oh, it yeah. in. Yeah. So I watched three years ago, I watched uh, my under nines at Luton. We've never spoken about it in training, anything like that. And one day, one of the players has rolled the ball out of the quadrant. The defenders come up, they've swapped, defenders gone back. He's then driven in to the edge of the box, knocked it inside, and then there's Cole on top corner. And it was like, wow, this is unbelievable. And it was that. that. So I said to him after the game, I said, uh, where's that come from? He's like, oh, I've just, I've just, I've just seen it on YouTube, watching football videos. It's just like amazing, and these these ideas and things that people get, especially the younger ones, it's they take it away. So for me, I think the only the only thing that I will not work on as such, but I have in my sessions about set pieces, is the restarts of like pass of dribbling. So that's the only focus from there. And even with the older ones, and it's not something I've really had a lot of exposure to. Um, but for us, with the older ones, it's more like showing them images and sort of telling them where to mark and giving them that detail, not necessarily what it looks like. Because I think, again, very fortunate that I get to train twice a week with them. For I do get to do train twice a week for four hours, sort of two hours both sessions. Um, but again, still want to maximise the time on the grass doing things that, that could be more preventative in the game. So it's still something that I don't particularly work on. But players have a general idea of sort of what it looks like um, from that point of view. Yeah, and, and I think I think maybe just implementing rules at the start of the year, I think that would just stop a lot of it. So, like, I don't know, it might be any free kick in front of goal. It might be you have to have two people start at the store over the top of it. Um, in swingers only, um, yeah, that, that's just implementing rules. I don't think there's a lot of need for putting set pieces on if you're working full time or even more than full time, like two sessions a week. But do I just wouldn't waste your time on set pieces? No, absolutely, 100%. So, something that I really wanted to talk to you about, Phil, and, and something things that we need to take into consideration when we're session planning. And this isn't necessarily actually happens during the session planning phase before the session, but more so potentially things that we need to be considerate of during the session is the internal and external factors that need to be taken in consideration when designing sessions and the session going on. So something that we've already touched on a lot uh, at the very beginning of this conversation, talking about game model and philosophy, of the club, of the team. Uh, we've spoken about that. We've then spoken, when we spoke about the physical corner, about periodization. So, um, brief sort of out view of periodization is you have your minus and plus days, um, so which is done on a countdown. So, you usually have something like game day minus five, minus four, minus three, minus two, minus one, game day, game day plus one, game day plus two, and things like that. So you usually find that statistically the best day for physically loading and putting more hard work on the body is on like a Tuesday or a th uh, Tuesday or a Wednesday in the middle of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, depending on what day you play on in the middle of the week, which then gives you the largest amount of recovery 
before the game. And then as you get closer to game day, things like loading. So those days would be like power and strength. And then as the sessions get closer to game day, it's become shorter, sharper, speed, agility, sort of the tapering days where it's more tactical and it's light. And you see the distances that the players are travelling a lot less um, because it's more on the body from there. So I think it's really important that you take those things into consideration what sort of day. Um, so, for example, our under-13s and 16s train Wednesday and Friday. Wednesday is really hard, really heavy, real physical output. Fridays, because we play Saturdays, is a lot lighter, a lot more tactical, a lot more just tapering little things, speed work, sort of, sort of quite larger um, rest of work ratios and things like that. And I think it's important to take those things. And then the things I wanted to talk to you about, Phil, that we haven't spoken about is the external stuff. How do we, how do we take things into consideration that we can't necessarily control? What sort of things have you found cropped up for you during your session planning? And then have also affected your session planning once you've planned the session. So I, I think to so the big one for me, right. And, and, it, it, it's it's not a gripe, but it's something that we kind of have to to notice. So I about a year and a half ago was at a session, um, and I, I I watched, I I watched. It was really cold. It was the middle of November. It, it was it was absolutely Baltic. Um, there was fourteen before eight to sixteen players. They hadn't moved in about probably 15 minutes because the coach was talking um, and it was it was not hard to watch but this made me really mindful about when I was planning sessions so England middle of November we know it's going to be cold we, we like we know hands down at night it's good at least it's going to be chilly so where my my um when I was stopping the game, I had to be really, really quick in and out. Bish bash bosh. There's my conversation. God, see you later. And then all I heard the coach say halfway through was, "Come on, you don't look interested." And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I wouldn't be interested either if I was stood around listening to you for 15 minutes and I'm freezing." So we have to take that into consideration. We have to understand some of these kids have. Have come wearing probably shorts and and jumpers because it's be, because they're going to play play football. They can't just take them on and put them off just because you're talking. Um, facilities. Um, I, I, I work in a pitch at the minute where the goals don't roll out; they're hinged onto the wall, I, I, and we don't have we don't have any other op- we don't have any other pieces of equipment to use. So we have to, we just have to deal with the bare minimum and take the, those things into consideration. So, uh, mo- like moving equipment, there's another one. There's other ones where, like for Leisure United ones, for example, they, um, they have rolling goals. So, what's going to happen now when we finish our session? And it might be we've done a passing pattern, but now we're going to go into a game. But I haven't moved the goals. I'm going to ask you to. Again, where, where, uh, there's only going to be three, four people moving the goal. What's happening with the rest of them? Have they got a job to do? Have they got things to take into consideration? 
Am I going to coach them and leave the four maybe more tactically knowledgeable ones or the ones that will pick up the quickest with me? Um, um, I think that we're, I think the weather one's a big one for me, obviously because of where we live. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, it's that whole something that something that was brought up to me in the summer on a course about external factors and it's things that you can't control. Obviously, you can't control the sort of day you've had as a coach, if you've had a good day or a bad day. And we've, we've spoken already in the last three pods about part-time coaches and having to coach on top of full-time work. You can't control what sort of day you've had. You can't control what sort of day the kids have had or the players have had. Um, and And something that sounds so obvious, but I was so... not naive but just didn't even cross my mind is sort of weather external factors such as weather and facilities and taking those things do those things come into consideration in your session planning the weather forecast looks like it's going to smash it down or it looks very windy so for example I, I remember back when I did my level two goalkeeping coaching course and for my final assessment I had uh dealing with crosses from deep so at one point I had to demonstrate coming out to receive the ball in the air whilst this gale force wins. And at the time it was one of the things I was like, oh my God, like I've missed this. Ball's come out, I've gone to get it, missed it. The wind's completely sent it over my head. And it, <laughs> it worried me a lot. But how like how often what what about you, Phil? How do you find the external factors of like weather and facilities, brass, astro, wet pitch, things like that? Do those things come into consideration when you're planning a session? Not as much now because it it changes all the time. Yeah, because it changes all the time. Like I'll I'll have an understanding. I'll have an understanding that it's cool. I've, I've probably got to be prepared for it to rain. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, I'm I'm on. I'm on, uh, I'm on three uh, G. If I, uh, my games are mainly on grass on a weekend, so I kind of link that to my session. So I'll always have like a point where I might say, "Yes, we're, we're playing it really well on here, but when we get onto grass, I want you to have a, a taken this some kind of considerations." So I'll ask the lads, "What considerations might there be? Or oh, the the pitch might be bobbly." Or the, the, it's not going to be as quick, so we have to take that into consideration when we're passing the ball. So it might be little things like that. Um, I used to try, but now I'm like, nah. It's it. I live in Newcastle. Like it's probably gonna. I'm probably gonna get to six o'clock, and it's gonna be snowing and sunshine at the exact same time. And I've got no idea how to plan for that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I'll take. I'll. 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 I'll Try and take the considerations, but yeah, I'm like, nah, nah, stop it. <laughs> what what happens happens. No, absolutely. I think it's it's one of the things. It's just something to consider, isn't it? As opposed to actually, this might dictate my whole session or or things like that. It's providing yourself a plan A, B, C, D, and whatever else. And I think when you when you're south of the Watford Gap, mate, it's a little bit more consistent when you know what you're getting with the weather. 
Um, and obviously, it's getting dark earlier. It's getting slightly windy and slightly wet. So I think it is important to have some idea of potentially. And from then, I think one of the big things as well moving forward that obviously, I don't know about yourself, sort of in and around your area and your coaching. But down here, we've got Astros popping up left, right and centre. And I would love to know how many teams still train on grass and still and play on grass on a Saturday. So, for example, um, my my teams, I've now been with them two, uh, three years, three years or so. Mm-hmm. And every session has been on grass, uh, has been on Astro, other than pre-season, which has been on, has been on the ground, on grass. And then majority of our games have been on grass and saying that we've had quite a considerable amount on Astro. So they're very tailored and adapted to playing on Astro. However, on Saturday we played on grass. It absolutely hammered it down for a couple of days and it then was a lot clearer on Saturday. However, trying to get to grips with playing on grass again, all of them have come out wearing moulds. And then a couple of them have to quickly run back inside and get their metal studs. And it's just these little things, I think it's important to take into consideration when planning and designing. So I think it's important on there. Yeah, and uh, just a quick one on that. I think you have to... I don't know how to say it. I do think you have to adapt to those situations. And I think you can put them in your review. I think there's no problem having a bad session because of conditions, but afterwards, having an idea of how I would prevent issues. So I did, um, I did a session around uh, crossing from deep. So like you would have an overlap with a winger, the winger would cut, the, sorry, the, an overlap with a fullback, the fullback would cut the ball back into the winger, the winger would get the ball to the box. Heavy, really heavy wins. Really, really heavy wins. Not a single goal was scored and we didn't have a goalkeeper. So no goalkeeper, not a single goal scored. Being honest, I probably should have sacked it in five minutes beforehand and just rejigged it a little bit. But I decided to try and be a little bit more, um, adapt, like, uh, try and be adaptable and try and let it go a little bit out of stubbornness. But again, maybe I go back to the, the, the winger and say, listen, you're trying to float the ball in the box. It, it, it's not going to work. I want you to try and drive the ball into the box instead. And then we'll, we'll just work off pieces. Because yeah. nothing wrong with having a bad session or a bad plan. But when you plan, do review, you review it properly. Don't don't half it and just do it in the car. Think about it in the car, park up before you get in the house. Properly review it in your head because I think you can learn from it. I think you can learn from bad sessions. It's all right. I have bad sessions. You're human. And some things are outside of your control. Player, player behavior. Weather, facilities. Lots of different things. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one, the one other sort of factor um, that does play a part in my coaching, and I know it does for everyone's, but maybe not to the same extent because of because of accessibility to 
other disciplinaries within the coaching, but return to training protocol. Okay. Have, having players returning, I've had sessions before where I've had uh, 14, 15 players and in the same session I've got three or four players returning back and currently on non-contact or on limited minutes. So it's suddenly right to start off with. Uh, we do a warm-up, we do activation, we do a passing pattern followed by um, a possession, followed by tactical work. And for some of them, it's they can only take part for half a session. Sometimes it's like 75%. And it's then having to adapt with how that then impacts your session. I think that's something as well. Return like after an injury or after a concussion or things like that. I think that's also saying that's quite hard to plan into your session. Um, so I think that's also something to take into consideration. But I guess to kind of wrap it up, Phil, we've, we've gone through everything we sort of said that we want to speak to. What are your key things, key aspects, and key points to work, to look at when designing sessions and planning for your sessions? Plan for your levels. Uh, I see a lot of great coaches who try and plan too far for the level. So just understand if you're working with grassroots under nines, you don't have to put on a back what the back four shape looks like. You don't have to do that. You have to plan age-appropriate sessions for kids at the level. So, And that's essentially what football is. It's a game of levels. Um Figure out the simple stuff first. So go on your app and figure out how many players you have. Go on your go on your WhatsApp groups and, and just find out how people are doing. Um, find out where the session is, how much equipment you need. Those are the simple things. Then get your titles ready. Have an idea. Have an idea. Okay, this is what I'm going to work on. This is what my syllabus says. This is what my curriculum says. Try and get a stat. For each thing you want to work with, so if it's shooting, what 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 were the premierships? Were the most goals were finished on one and two touch inside the box, for example, and link that to your session. Um, try and think of as many mess ups as possible, and just tr- enjoy the process been loads of times where I'm like, oh God, no, that that's not gonna work, but oh this 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 is gonna work, it'll make it better. And you can make it fun, you can make it actually quite exciting, but okay, not not really exciting, don't get us wrong. <laughs> but you can make it as exciting as possible. What about you? Have you got any top tips? Golden nuggets? I think for me it's trying to trying to focus on players' needs, teams' needs, based upon the development of the player and and the team. So that might that might necessarily mean writing down a few things that the team need to work on and players need to work on as a collective and regardless of what happens on the weekend, taking some time to work on those things. I think to try and challenge yourself to design sessions that have some out that has outcomes in all five corners. Try and make your sessions a little bit more holistic and a more bolted on because there's outcomes that in all the areas. So even even if it is with the little ones, 
can things be technical, tactical, social, psychological and physical? And same with 16s, 18s, 12s, 21s, open ages. I think it's important to to, to have something, an outcome in, in each of them. And it doesn't need to be massive and it doesn't need to be detailed. But just having that sort of conscious thinking about how you're designing your session and how the how it comes out from there, I think it can be a such more wholesome and completed session by having those. If it's just constantly technical all the time, I think it's it can become heavy and repetitive. So I think for me, it's players' needs, team needs, outcomes you desire to get out of your session, and then focusing on one or two moments of the game to go from there. Then also taking into consideration how things might impact your session. So focusing everything around what the player and the team needs and then kind of build your design around there and work on like a step process, right? Players need this, team needs this, these are my outcomes, these are my moments, these are the things I need to take into consideration, including my numbers, and then kind of just see where see where your pen and paper or your mouse takes you or trackpad and then just create something from there. Yeah, yeah, I- I'm actually going to take. I'm going to take some of that advice. To be fair, um, you give me a little golden nugget there. I like that. Oh, I'll be using that one, my friend. Well done. Congrats. Good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> so, on that, as always, thank you very much to those who have been listening, and thank you for taking the time to listen to this one as well. We really appreciate it, and all the feedback, both positive constructive feedback we've had from everyone has been great it's been helpful and really good to hear a lot of you are enjoying the podcast so thank you very much and from me goodbye goodbye see you next time